midst of World War II, C.S. Lewis gave four radio broadcasts over the BBC, which would later be compiled into a book entitled Mere Christianity. This book inspired my journey to know why I believe what I believe. Welcome to Bear Christianity. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is the first verse in the Gospel of John, and it may sound kind of cryptic at first. It has three parts. In the beginning was the Word. Uh, The Word, by the way, is talking about Jesus, and the Word was eternal, okay? In the beginning was the Word. The Word is eternal. The second part, and the Word was with God. This is some sort of relationship. In some way, there's a relationship. The Word was with God. But the third part is what throws everybody for a loop, and the Word was God. So how can the Word be with God and be God? Welcome to the Trinity, right? (laughs) Gregory of Nazianzus was an archbishop who lived in the 4th century, and he is known as the Trinitarian theologian. This is one of his most famous quotes. No sooner do I conceive of the One than I am illumined by the splendor of the Three. No sooner do I distinguish them than I am carried back to the one. Get ready to wrestle with this. Your mind is constantly going to want to think of God as only as one or as three. The difficulty with the Trinity is three in one. So here's what you can expect from today. Here's a basic outline. So I'm going to give a definition of the Trinity and discuss some of the, the technical terms and stuff like that, just so we can lay out all the definitions on the table and talk the same language, okay? The second part, I'm going to give some common heresies, some common errors that uh, sometimes people fall into when when they try to think about what the Bible says about God. And then I'm going to go over some illustrations for the Trinity. And just as a disclaimer, next week I'm going to show you from the Bible why Christians believe in the Trinity. I struggled, you know, which way to go first, And so what I decided to do was define all the terms this time, and then next time jump into all the Bible verses and sort of show how God has revealed himself throughout Scripture. You may also be asking, why the Trinity, right? So even though I grew up in a Christian home, went to a Christian school, I up until about maybe five, six years ago, I could not have given a reasonable defense of why I believed in the Trinity, it's it's not that I wasn't taught that at you know home school church. It's not that I wasn't taught about the Trinity. It's just that I had a very lazy attitude about it. So as you're you know as you're being taught it, you just sort of like ah oh, you know it's kind of this. Well, I'll never really understand it anyway. It's it's too confusing to really bother with. Or another attitude that I had is well that's just theology and you know, boring doctrine. It's it's that boring stuff that theologians just discuss and argue about, but it doesn't really apply to me. Here's the question that I had, which motivated me to learn as much as I could about the Trinity and, and what a blessing this journey has been. But here's the initial question. It's why does mainline Christianity not consider some other religions Christian? And there's two main ones that that stuck out to me. One is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, aka the the Mormon Church. Um, they will they will profess themselves as Christians, but in general, mainline Christian denominations do not um, consider them Christians. And so, and and then another one is Jehovah's Witnesses. Jehovah's Witnesses profess a strong belief in the Bible uh, as the Word of God. They you know. Th- 
both the Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, we have a lot of the same words, right? We we use, the, you know, uh, words like Jesus and uh, grace and saved and stuff like that. But so why are these not considered Christian? And, uh, you know, there's there's different reasons, but the Trinity, a, a denial of the Trinity is one of the foundational reasons that these these other religions are not considered Christian. So later on, I'm going to spend several weeks in the future um, discussing these different religions and why, as I investigated them, I do not believe that they are true. But today is all about the Trinity. So, it, it, you know, when I asked this question, why are they not considered Christian? You know, the, the obvious answer was there is something really important about the Trinity, and I should probably know more about it. And that, that's when I came across a, a book recommendation for you today, Bears Books. Uh, I came across this book by Dr. James White. He's a Christian apologist, and he's a, a very, very good debater. So he has traveled the world and debated all you know scholars from all different religions. He's also debated atheists and, and things like that. So I've really enjoyed listening to a lot of his debates. He has several on the Trinity, if you YouTube, James White, Trinity Debate. Several of them will pop up. But he wrote a book called The Forgotten Trinity, and this was a great introduction to to the doctrine of the Trinity, and I just really like how he he, he lays out his um, his arguments, and um, it, it's just really well done. I really enjoyed it, and so I would recommend that to you. You can also win this book by participating in our 500 download celebration, all right? So Bear Christianity has reached 500 downloads. I talked about this some last week. Well, actually, we've we passed 600 downloads at this point. So uh, it's just, I am very humbled at the way that this podcast has been accepted and shared. So thank you so much for sharing it. It has been a joy to, you know, just share some of these basic things that I've learned over the, the past few years and and have that go, and and possibly have eternal significance in someone's life. So it just it's it's amazing that God's allowed me to uh, do such a simple thing, and so many people hear it already. So I'm really excited about that. So as a way of celebrating, I'm giving away any resource that I have mentioned on the show so far. And the way you enter this drawing is you can share this podcast on social media and just tag me. So if you share it on Facebook, I'm Barrett Martin. And then if you share it on Instagram, just tag at the real Bear Martin. Also, if you don't have social media or don't feel like doing that, you can email me a question for a bear in the woods, which we're going to get to in a second in case you're a new listener, or you can email just a random question about the, the Bible. You know, if you if you have a question about Christianity or the Bible, send that in. I may do an episode in the future if I get enough questions on just you know, like a like a Q and A type uh, type of episode. So uh, send those in, and that will also get your name in the drawing. So the, I'm going to do that at the end of this week. So I think it's October 11th by midnight or whatever. You know, try to get those in, and uh, and we'll get a winner out there. Okay, now here is uh, one of my favorite parts of the show. It's called a bear in the woods, and this is uh, just kind of a, a step away from the more serious stuff about Christianity and the Bible and. It's uh, this. This question is sent in by a listener. Bear, what do you think about having robot umpires in baseball? Now, if you don't know me, I played a lot of baseball growing up, and I was a catcher. 
And so I, I have very strong opinions. I still follow baseball. I'm a big Atlanta Braves fan, and they just recently clinched a playoff spot. If you do not watch baseball, pick a team like the Atlanta Braves and watch the playoffs. Now, robot umpires in baseball. We already have a replay and stuff like that in baseball, but this, this idea of robot umpires, if you've ever watched a game on TV, you'll see like a little rectangle strike zone, and when the pitcher throws it, it'll actually show you like where that pitch crossed the plate. So it's crazy, the technology we have now. So there's thoughts that we could make that the umpire, and this, this takes away the, you know, the umpire maybe missing a call on, on balls and strikes. A couple of thoughts. Robot umpires will make catching easier. Again, I was a catcher most of my life. And so with a catcher, a little inside uh, information here, a catcher is constantly in tension with performing his job. Obviously, you have to catch the ball and stop the ball and keep it from going past you. But also, you have to position your body in a way that it allows the umpire to have a great view of the strike zone. So if you jump around, you know, if you jerk your body or you stand up a little too high or whatever, you may block his view and therefore he's likely not going to call that a strike. And so the best catchers are ones that can position their body and catch the ball in a way that gives the umpire a good view. Now also as a catcher, there when the when a pitch is borderline, it might be a ball, might be a strike a good catcher will catch the ball in a way that it makes it look the best, okay? So let's think about a low pitch. If a pitch is like right there, sort of at the the batter's knees, and it's low, if the catcher catches the ball and his hand is like on the way down, the momentum's gonna carry that, his hand as soon as he catches it, and his glove's gonna like hit the dirt. And it's gonna make that pitch look really low. Now, a good catcher will sort of, smoothly move his hand in an upward motion as he's catching the ball and it will make that pitch look like it's a little bit higher than it actually is now it's not this you know dramatic movement it's just subtle smooth little movements of the glove as he as the catcher catches it that's what makes the difference and it it makes pitches look better to the umpire and and those are the catchers that pitchers like pitching to because they get they seem to get more uh, strike calls for them. A robot does away with that. So so the, the difficulty in catching it just goes away because it doesn't matter how you catch the ball. You're, you're, it doesn't matter at all because this robot is determining it. So if a runner's stealing, the catcher can, you know, basically stand up and get ready to throw them out. I mean, there's there's just no, there's, there's not this tension anymore of trying to give the umpire a good view. And, and so I just don't like it. Now, also, you know, what is the reason, what is what is the true value of sports? The majority of people who play sports are not making millions of dollars. The, the, I think the true value of sports, even as a fan watching sports, is it is a way to practice life. In sports, you have, and, and again, even as a fan, you have to learn to deal with failure. Sometimes you have success. And sometimes there's unfairness, there, there's bad calls and things like that. And, and, and so it's a way to kind of practice life. And, and so I like that about sports and I, I would encourage everybody to play a sport of some kind because I think it, it helps, uh, especially as, as kids, 
uh, it helps us mature in in mental ways that um, maybe you don't you're not really thinking about right now. It develops mental toughness because life is not fair, and sometimes you're you're going to be wronged. You know, it, it's sometimes they're going to call a strike when it really was a ball, and you just need to learn to deal with that as a player and as a fan. You, you know, life is not fair, and so I don't like this idea of robot umpires because it I think it takes away a little bit of that value as well. Well, that's just my opinion, and this has been A Bear in the Woods. All right, the Trinity has become one of my favorite topics to uh, to learn about. I've read books, I've listened to uh, podcasts and debates and things like that. I just have really enjoyed learning about the Trinity. I, I think it has helped me understand the Bible in a much better way, and also just my love for God has increased in in knowing more about Him. That's that's the way it's supposed to work. Uh, the Bible is God's revelation of Himself to us, and so the better we understand God, the the more we understand all of His attributes. and And so I think that's the value of the Trinity. But here's what I've learned as I started to uh, to dive into learning about the Trinity: you have to set proper expectations for yourself. Uh, for example, can you fully comprehend the idea of eternity? It's very difficult, and I think eternity in the past is even tougher than eternity in the future, just to get your, your mind around. You know, imagine something never having a beginning. It never started. You, you know, it's just it's tough to fully comprehend that. However, you can identify truth and error regarding the idea of eternity in the past, all right? So Christians believe God is eternal and was never created. He's always existed. So if someone said, the Bible says God came into existence 50 billion years ago, you know, you may not fully be able to understand eternity, but you can easily say, uh, you know, well, that statement is false, because if you came into existence one second ago or 50 billion years ago, it doesn't matter. You're still not eternal. And so that's the way you have to think about the Trinity. You, there are a few foundational things that God has taught us about himself in the Bible, and Christians take these foundational truths and then build their belief about God on those. So I am a Trinitarian, not because some council over a thousand years ago told me to be a Trinitarian, or because the Pope said so. I believe in the Trinity because I cannot see how the Bible allows me to believe anything else. You know, So I believe the Bible alone is God's revelation of himself to mankind, and I believe all of the Bible. So let me repeat that. I believe the Bible alone and all of the Bible. And so this leads me and millions of Christians before me to a belief in the Trinity. To deny the Trinity you know, you can do that, but you have to do a few things. It means you have to get rid of the Bible completely, or or at least parts of the Bible. You have to have some external uh, authority, uh, you know, telling you how to interpret the Bible. Uh, that's about the only two ways that you can you can get around it. And so, I think people that are reading the Bible and and uh, if well, if they're reading the Bible as the inspired Word of God, as if every word matters then I think the Trinity is really the only way to put it all together. So in a way, Christians are forced to believe the Trinity by the, by the Bible. Um, so uh, trying to fully comprehend it, though, can make your head hurt, all right? But that's okay. Latch on to those truths. Like I talked about with eternity, just latch on to the truth that is taught, 
and and let that determine, you know, when you see error, you can identify it, but you may not be able to fully comprehend it. I'm okay not being able to fully understand the complexity of the eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing God of the universe. I'm okay with that. You know, just because some other religion's God is easier to understand does not make that God true. You know, so just stop and think about that. You know, what kind of argument is that? You know, the people will say, well, the Trinity is so confusing and complicated. Why don't you come over to, to my side and worship a God who is much easier to understand? You know, that just doesn't make sense. Which God do you think is more likely to be man-made, or, you know, just kind of thought up in, in someone's mind? A Trinitarian God is not something that man would just make up and then try to get other people to believe it. You know, that is the, <laughs> that's the worst strategy ever. And so, you know, in, in my mind, it's the complexity of the Trinity makes it more believable to me than, than some God that I can easily understand. So let's start with a definition of the Trinity, and then I'll also list those foundational beliefs found in the Bible. And again, next week is when we're going to go into the Bible and, and see how we get these. So here's a definition. This is from The Forgotten Trinity by Dr. James White. Within the one being that is God, there exist eternally three co-equal and co-eternal persons, namely the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let me repeat that. Within the one being that is God, there exist eternally three co-equal and co-eternal persons, namely the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So one other thing I want to mention here is we often have, and, and James White calls it baggage with words in the English language. So when I say person, you may automatically think of someone with a physical body limited by space and time. You know, they have a specific height and weight, but I, we're using person here in a, like a philosophical term. So try, try your best to kind of leave the, the word baggage behind. Notice what the definition is not saying about the Trinity. It is not saying that the Trinity is one being and three beings. That is a contradiction. The Trinity is not saying that, that it is one person and three persons. That is also a contradiction. And this is the most common misconception about the Trinity. You must distinguish between being and person. So people against Christianity or the Trinity, they will insist that the Trinity is a contradiction, and they just simply, uh, sometimes, sometimes uh, they don't understand what historic Christianity has taught about the Trinity, but sometimes it's just they refuse to listen to what Christians are saying, and they continue to mix up and, and mess up being in person. They, they just you know jumble them all together and then continue to insist that the Trinity is a contradiction. And so that can be very frustrating as you watch debates on the Trinity. It's just like, are you listening to anything the Christian is saying to you? You're just refusing to believe it. Or, or, or not even believe it. You're just refusing to listen and try to understand what Christians are saying. So look out for that. And then if you are not a Christian, you know, please just pay attention to what we're actually trying to say and then argue from there. All right. Now, also, we're not saying that the Father is one-third God, the Son is one-third God, and the Holy Spirit is one-third God. That, that is not what Christians are saying. That's the difficult part of the Trinity is... Each person, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is fully God, and there is only one God. So that's the three-in-one concept that is taught in the Bible, but we just we can't wrap our heads around it. A few other definitions here. To uh, we've got to separate 
Well, Trinitarian obviously means one, the belief in one God and three persons. Unitarian means one God and one person, and and that's the most the easiest example is Islam. So Allah is a Unitarian God, one God, one person. Now Unitarianism is not to be confused with monotheism. Monotheism is is a belief that there is only one true God, and Christians and Muslims share this belief. We are both monotheist. Now, they will say that we're not, that we believe in three gods. Again, they are jacking up the whole being and person thing. But we, you know, Christians profess that there is one true God. We are monotheist. Let's talk about being and person. Again, this is super important. When you think about being, you can think being is what something is, okay? So other terms for being, like synonyms of being would be essence, nature, substance. And so the divine uh, essence, the being of God, is that which makes God, God. And there is only one of those, okay? One being of God. Yet all three persons have this. Now, a person, you know, I said with being, think about what something is. With person, think about who something is. So here's an example to distinguish the two. If I throw a baseball and hit you in the head, you may ask two different questions. What hit me? And the answer to that would be a baseball. Who hit me? The answer to that would be fair. Okay, I'm the one that threw the ball. So everything has being, but not everything has person. So we can a rock has being, but not person. So we can say mean things to a rock, and it does not matter. Uh, we can say, uh, you know, a, a human being has person, and so when we say mean things to a human being, it does matter. So think about, you know, what are you? What are you? You are a human being. And who are you? You know, insert your name here. So for us, there are billions of human beings, and that's what we are. And each human being has one person. So one human being for one person. And that is and that is the difficulty with the Trinity because God is holy. He is unique. There is nothing like God. There is only one God, and there is nothing else like Him, and He is holy. So therefore, we don't have any examples to to draw to. So there are three persons in the only the one being of God. And so I mentioned John one one. You know, and you have this tension here. You have. The Word was with God, but the Word was God. And so trying to put those together is very difficult. Now, here are the foundations of you know, Trinitarian belief. The, these foundations, what I'm going to do next week is go through each of these and show why Christians believe these and why we feel like we're bound to believe them based on what the Bible teaches. So here's the three foundations. This is also from the Forgotten Trinity. There is only one God. I talked about this earlier. Christians are monotheists. We only believe in one God. There are three distinct persons. So the the persons are not confused with one another. There are three distinct persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And then the third foundation is the three persons are co-equal and co-eternal. So those are the three. There is only one God. There are three persons. And the three persons are co-equal and co-eternal. The Bible clearly teaches each of those foundations. So let's jump into some heresies. These are errors 
in how people try to think about the Trinity, but it, it's wrong, um, and it leads you off course and, and into other religions, things like that. Uh, the first one, if you deny the first foundation that there is only one God, if you deny that one, then you are you you will go into polytheism, the belief in more than one God. And when people try to think about the Trinity, but they they forget the foundation that there is only one God, this leads to tri-theism, tri-theism, that the, 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 there's three gods, that the Father is a God, the Son is a separate God, and the Holy Spirit is another separate God. So you have three gods, and then you know they sort of form this God club, um, and they ha- they're, they're very unified in, in their goals and things like that, but you still have three separate gods. That is tritheism, and that is a heresy. That is not what Trinitarians believe, because the Bible clearly teaches there's only one God. The next one, the next common heresy would be modalism, and this is a denial of the second foundation. So modalism believes the first, there's only one God, but the second one is there are three persons. And so if you deny that second one, then you have modalism, and modalism basically means that God has different modes. So there's one God, and I think about like an actor on stage with three different masks. So sometimes, um, you know, God puts on the father mask and he does things like the father does. Then he takes that one off, puts on the son mask. And sometimes he's acting like the son. And then sometimes he's like the Holy Spirit. Um, so that's modalism or different modes, you know, like an actor on stage. Uh, you can also think about an actor who maybe plays one part during the first, you know, act of the play. And then after intermission, he plays a totally separate role. That is not what the Bible teaches and not what Trinitarians believe because there are di- there are different areas in the Bible where you have all three persons acting together. The, the most common one is the baptism of Jesus. You have the Father saying, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus is the one actually being baptized, and the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus. And so all three are right there like on stage at the same time. So, so it can't just be one actor with three different masks. They're all right there on stage at the same time. Another one is Jesus praying to the Father. Are we are we supposed to believe that Jesus was just deceiving everybody and just sort of acting like he's praying to someone else when he's actually praying to himself? You know, so that is modalism, and and that's why I believe that is a wrong way to interpret the Bible. The last one is a denial that the three per. It's the denial of the third foundation that the three persons are co-equal and co-eternal. And so Arius was a bishop who taught that there was a time when the Son did not exist. Basically, he taught Jesus was the first created being by the Father. And and Jesus was considered great and powerful, but still a created being. And if you remember from last time, there is a huge gap between creator and creation. And Jesus is clearly identified as a creator, the, the creator of all things. And so a, a modern view of Arianism is the Jehovah's Witnesses. This is what they believe about Jesus, that he was the first created being um, created by God, and, and then all other things were created by Jesus. So that's, that's what they believe there. Now, it was this Arian controversy in the 4th century which led to the Council of Nicaea that I mentioned in last week's episode. So the Council of Nicaea is that church council that uh, Dan Brown just kind of butchers the history of in the Da Vinci Code. Now, the Da Vinci Code is fiction. It's okay that he wrote fiction. 
but the history is not <laughs> the history in a fictional novel is not reliable, and and so he completely butchers it. The Council of Nicaea actually met over this Arian controversy. So Arius was starting to teach this way, and as as some of the uh, as that teaching grew, then the church met to investigate the Bible and make a decision on what the Bible actually taught about Jesus. And so that's what the the Council of Nicaea actually met for. Now let's talk about some illustrations of the Trinity, and I'm going to say right off the bat, just avoid using all illustrations. <laughs> when you're trying to explain the Trinity, if you use illustrations, then usually you will, you're will you actually teaching a heresy. Okay, so let me give you an example. Uh, a, a very common one for the Trinity is people say, well, the Trinity is kind of like water. You know, it, it's ice and liquid water and steam. And so it's, you know, they're, what they're trying to do is get this idea of one and three uh, but that is modalism. So you have one, let's say one drop of water, and sometimes it's ice, and sometimes it's liquid, and sometimes it's steam. You know, that is modalism. That is, you know, one God sort of acting like three different things, but not existing at the same time. Now, for some of you science nerds out there, you may be thinking about the triple point of water. The triple point, for all you morons out there, is a, <laughs> is a certain temperature and pressure in which all three phases, solid, liquid, and gas, uh, all three phases of a substance are, are sort of in equilibrium. But this is still not a good illustration because you're, you're still having a, a single molecule, for instance, changing from solid, liquid, to gas, So, you know, it, or, or, or a group of molecules. So it's, it still doesn't work. And, and so it very easily can be um, teaching modalism instead of what the Trinity teaches. Another example would be like a three-leaf clover, right? So you have one clover, but it has three leaves. But what this teaches is that the Father is one-third God, the Son is one-third, and the Holy Spirit is one-third. That also is heresy. And so I would just avoid illustrations altogether. Just rely on those foundational truths found in Scripture and then evaluate all thoughts based on those. You know, so, and that will kind of keep you from error. Now, although it's not an illustration of the Trinity, I really, really like this um, example that C.S. Lewis gave as far as a, a reason that we cannot fully comprehend the Trinity. So he, he says this, this is in Mere Christianity, by the way, again, the book that inspired this podcast. He says, you know, when thinking about the Trinity, you know, think about a straight line. A straight line exists in one dimension. Now, if we add some straight lines and think about a square, now we are thinking in two dimensions, so we can make a square. You know, So notice the complexity of the object can increase as we increase the number of dimensions. All right, So a straight line is pretty simple. A square is a little bit more complicated because now we're in two dimensions. If we use more lines and more squares, we can, we can think about a cube. Now we are thinking in three dimensions. And so again, as we increase a dimension, then we can increase the complexity of the object. Now, as human beings, we, are, we exist and we are limited by one dimension of time. So time for us is a straight line, and we are limited by three dimensions of space. So, you know, again, we can try to imagine something outside of that, but we just, we, we will not be able to wrap our, our minds around that. And you know, again, this is what we have to think about with the Trinity. God is outside 
of space and time and not limited by them. Therefore, God is able to be all the more complex in nature than we can possibly understand. So our limitations are what is restricting us from getting this three-in-one concept about the Trinity. That was really helpful to me and a great way to sort of think about things. In closing, you may be reading your Bible over the next week, hopefully you are, and you may come across some verses where the word God is used, but it's clear from the context that it's only speaking about the Father. And so I just wanted to point this out to you. Sometimes in the New Testament, the Father is called God, the Greek word there is theos, and Jesus is called Lord, the Greek word there is chorios. And that is a way for the authors in the New Testament sometimes to distinguish him. So don't be confused by this. The New Testament authors, they seem to write, you know, they don't just lay out, they don't, there's not like a chapter we can go to in the New Testament where it says, okay, this is the doctrine of the Trinity. Let me lay it out for you. They seem to just write as if the Trinity, the, the, the concepts of the Trinity just sort of flow out of them, like, like they've experienced it. And, and they have, you know, they, they have worshiped God. But then you have the God-man, Jesus, who came to earth and, and lived among them, and then they were indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And, and that's what happens to all Christians today. And so the Trinity, from a very practical standpoint, is the Father, in His love, sends the Son, who died for, for our sins, and the Holy Spirit reunites us and brings us into the eternal fellowship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so, you know, the Christians in the New Testament are writing experientially. They, they just, it sort of flows out of them. And so just listen to how Christians speak to one another. This is Paul as he closes his second letter to the church in Corinth. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. 